turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We are looking at verses 12 to 16. I believe that this is very crucial in this day and age because the essence of this actually 1 to 16 is church. What is church? The dynamic that is there given to us by the gracious gift of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ who has led captive a host of captives and who has ascended on high. I think it is crucial for each and every one of us, but I also think it is crucial for about every believer. So uh, if you would please follow in the reading of the word 4, 12 to 16. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all maintain the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, Because the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Father, help us. These words are from the heavens. And Father, I think if we down here on the earth struggle trying to comprehend this. We've already prayed. Paul prayed for us in chapter 1 that we might grasp this. We might know this but we might put confidence in this. So, Father, I ask now that you do the teaching. You show us what we are, what we possess, and uh, what our purpose is. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. I've shared with you that this section technically is the building the body, and it is God's pattern. I hear a lot of things. I see a lot of things that people are quote-unquote doing to build the body. If it doesn't fall into this, then there's no power behind it. All it is is uh, schemes. This is the church. When you think about the church today, and if talk to people who go to church, many of you know people who go to different churches, and you hear conversations about their churches, it can be just a tad bit frustrating. You hear people describing, quote-unquote, what they are in church for. And it's funny, one of the ones I hear is that, so my family will have a moral standard. Really? That's what you're in church for? Which you just told me that you like being tossed to and fro. (laughs) Because you can manipulate moral standards. I remember a lady one time had led this young lady to Christ and she was all on fire, and it was great. This lady, this girl, is she is, look, she's saved. She said a prayer, and, 
and she, she's opening her Bible and everything else, and she headed off to college, and she moved in with her boyfriend. And uh, she came and told me about it. And I said, well, that's, that's sin. She says, well, the way I look at it is if they're sleeping together, in God's eyes, they're married. See? I can make morality fit however I need it to fit. All right? That, you can't... Anyway, I can go on with a list of how we, quote-unquote, call church. Uh, I would say that the bulk of the people that I deal with outside of some leaders is uh, church is fire insurance. If I die suddenly, I have an eternal life insurance policy with God. And uh, I, <laughs> I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. <laughs> There, there is eternal assurances, I guarantee you that, but that is not what church is for. You know, um, it's, the purpose is right in front of us. We are going to be made perfect. We are going to be made mature. It is a place that the saints of the Most High God are perfected, and the Perfecting takes place, first and foremost, among preachers of perfection. You must have, there must be preachers. How will they hear? Through preaching. And yet, if you think about it in our society today, that word is kind of, don't preach at me. Okay? I have seen a lot of things have changed and it's amazing how the world influences, but see, it's not a really big influence. It's just a little influence. I see that we have removed our pulpits. I know a guy right now preaches here, and he has a great big, huge church. And he has on his platform one of those, you know what a wing-back chair is? Okay. And he sits in that wing-back chair and dialogues with the congregation concerning the Word of God. And uh, Ezra didn't even do that. He stood on a pulpit on a box up high and explained the scriptures. It takes these preaching of perfection, preaching of maturity that matures the saint. And listen, that is what the task of the church is. That was what Jesus' focus was. If you remember 7 through 11, remember Christ's victory? He received the spoils of his victory. And in verse 8, he says, I have given gifts to men. So every believer has a gift. That is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ because of his victory over death, hell, and Satan and sin. Okay, But he also makes a statement, Paul does, in verse 11. Okay, And I, I believe emphatically the church does not appreciate verse 11. Okay? He gave every believer gifts. But he also did something else to his precious church. He gave gifted men. 
And I don't believe that these gifted men are appreciated. Okay? And a lot of the things that I have seen, they don't seem appreciated. These are gifts of a gracious Christ, a victorious Christ to his beloved church. And yet, why don't people go to church to see these gifts that God has given to the bride of Christ? Listen, I am tickled to death with the apostles. Right? Because if there wasn't any apostles, there is no doctrine. That's the New Testament. It came by the writings of the apostles or those who were intimately close to the apostles. And truthfully, if you're honest, is that not the heart of the New Testament? I, uh, I'm on Facebook. I got on Facebook because uh, Pastor Philip, Pastor Paul uh, are on Facebook. Uh, Mikhail in uh, Azerbaijan is on Facebook. And so we can go back and forth and, and, and we dialogue. But once you get on there, they find you. And so I get all of these people that I have known in my days. And it's funny because I'll post some, uh, I don't know, spiritual things, whatever you want to call it. Usually they're quotes from pastors or theologians or, you know, just really good stuff. Sometimes I put something corny on there. But uh, corny is good sometimes. But uh, one of the things that I'm running into is a lot of people have figured out what it is I do for a living. And all of a sudden, they start telling me what church is. And I see people get in. I'll see people post this political stuff. I ain't interested in that. That's temporal. I could care less. When I see political, whether I'm watching the evening news or whatever, I sit and say, look, behold, the wisdom of man. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, I can move on. All right. And, but yet I will get this stuff on the church. And uh, one of the latest that I heard, well, whenever I'm somewhere with my Bible, that is church. And my response, then you're telling me you haven't read your Bible. (laughs) Okay. Now I haven't checked my response to see what (laughs) the response would be, but, um, You know, I look at it this way. Take the book of Acts and the four Gospels. You set them over here, all right? What's the rest of the Bible written to? Churches or church leaders. All right? In chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 20. Having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundation has been laid. It was laid off of the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles and prophets are the ones who gave us the doctrine. The apostles give us the doctrine. The prophets, how it applies to us on an everyday basis. 
Okay? These are gifted men who we stand on. Let me ask you a question. You appreciate it? The foundation is the energy that we reach the world. I've had people discussing our missions to different places that we help. And if you will see, there's a common theme. It is all church leaders. And it is all men and women who do what? Teach or preach. Why? Because it's missing. (laughs) That's why we need to do more. After apostles and prophets, you see in verse 11, the gift of evangelists and the gift of, I'm going to call it teaching shepherds. And I'll explain it to you toward the end of this. Okay. Please understand something. These are all gifts of Christ to the church. To the church. It's a, if you've ever had kids at Christmas, you see them on Christmas morning and, and they're just, and the paper's flying and, oh, and I got this and this bell and this thing makes noise and why did you buy them something to make noise? And, and you just see them and within a week, It's all over. You know what, brothers and sisters? That's the church. We have these gifts. Sometimes it's inconvenience. Sometimes I'm just bored with it. We have these gifts from he who led captivity captive. These things that he won in that war, that great battle, and he gave back to his church. You know what I call it? I summarize it in one phrase. That it's for the perfecting. These are the preachers of perfection. You know, it's amazing to me because the task is always the same. All the countries that I have preached in, the task is always the same. It never changed for me. All back to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 48 of Matthew. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Listen, okay, there we have been given the standard. This is God's will. You ever heard people, I can't seem to find God's will. I can be perfect. As your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay? And I shared with you the word. It be me, be mature. Be an adult in your Christianity. Why? Because if you're being tossed to and fro or following into deceptive schemes, then you know what you just told me? You're not mature. <laughs> and the people like to hear that. I don't believe you're spiritually mature. Then run. As soon as you say it, run. Okay, because a lot of times people won't, won't, hit, won't hit you in the back. And you never know, they may be cranky. And yet, that's God's will, and it never changes, and it is for every believer. The maturing of the saints, to grow them. The apostles were revelatory. 
They gave direct revelations that came from God. Chapter 3, verse 5 of Ephesians. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Listen. I want us to think about that. The word there, anointed, appointed, has been appointed to. It means that somebody called them and sent them. Okay? That's what the literally the word, the base root word in the Greek, apostolon, for apostles means. A sent one. Okay? They're usually representing the person who sent them. All right? In the Gospel of Luke, chapter, where am I? 22. Verse 28. He's speaking to his disciples. And he's getting ready to transition them from disciples to apostles. Verse 28. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. Okay, that's the first qualification you got to get a hold of for an apostle. Who called them? Christ did. Christ did it face to face. And if you really want to be honest with it, they did not become apostles until after the resurrection. Because they were called personally by the resurrected Christ. Okay? That's the qualification of an apostle, an important qualification. Do you understand something? How many apostles are there? How many tribes of Israel are there? So how many apostles are they? One apostle for each tribe. Okay? Okay, Matthias was voted in by the apostles. Okay? But he had to be visibly called by the resurrected Christ. He was. Okay? Oh, wait, 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 wait. What about Paul? See, maybe they picked the wrong dude, and then Jesus kind of went around the end and grabbed Paul. Uh, you know, I listen to people get it. They do some theological yoga. It's really kind of funny to watch them. But you guys know me. I'm simple. Paul was an apostle to who? Gentiles. So you got the 12 tribes of Israel and, of course, them crazy old Gentiles. All right? And all of them were called face-to-face by the resurrected Christ. All right? So there's an equal number of apostles for each tribe, and then Paul gets his hands full of them crazy Gentiles who eat pigs. Okay? But Paul rejoices in bacon as we do. Okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. You should write these down because this is coming back again. I've dealt with it twice this week. I'm an apostle. Okay? 
8.23 And as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches to the glory of Christ. Okay? Titus was never an apostle. Timothy was never an apostle. But they were sent out by the churches. Interesting concept. If you take the root word, apostolon, it is a sent out messenger speaking on behalf of whoever sent them out. The original apostles, the twelve and Paul, were sent out by who? Christ. Timothy, Titus, myself, were sent out by the churches. Sent ones. There are apostles of Christ that he sent that are the foundation layers. Then there are the apostles of the churches. All you have to do is who appointed you? Okay? That's all you have to ask. All of those trips that I made when I was teaching in Russia and Azerbaijan and Georgia and Israel and all those, who sent me? Yeah, the church did. Listen, there is no human being on this planet who has matured me more than the apostles. And I've said under some great teachers, but nothing like those guys. They will mature you more than any other human being. And it is that truth taught by the apostles that has shaped my life. Okay? The maturing of the saints. So that I can go forward and present every man complete in Christ. And only as I pass that on to you, the apostles' truth, can you be perfected. Can you grow? Can you mature? Listen, my opinion does nothing for either one of us. All right? Don't get big-headed. Your opinion doesn't either. But the writings of the apostle will keep you from being tossed to and fro or being deceived by schemes. When I teach and lead in the apostles' doctrine, that's the process of perfecting. Listen, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. I wish that the church would be more aware of how indebted they are to the apostles. Then in our text, he gave some to be apostles. He also gave some to be what? Prophets. Prophets. Prophemia. It means to speak before. Speak before. These are the best New Testament preachers that the world has ever seen. Okay? 
They come behind who? The apostles. Listen, the apostles move around. They're taking doctrine to people who do not know Christ, and they're laying it at their feet, raising up leaders inside, and guess who comes and follows up behind them? The prophets. The prophets come in. Apollos. Aquila. All of these. Listen, they had some dandies in Thessalonica. We don't even know their names. But who did they build on? Paul. The apostle. The term that we throw around now is church planter. Okay, it's sort of like the nuts. I have planters nuts. Okay. The original church planter were the apostles and prophets. They would strengthen this foundation, the apostles would, and then right behind them would come the prophets. To what? Repeat the doctrine of the apostles over and over and over. The prophets can continue to preach to those in this newly organized organism called the church. That is for the strengthening of the saints. Oh, it's being repeated. The apostles come in and lay the foundation. Prophets follow up on the work. The saints are strengthened solely and only by the apostles' doctrine. They re-preach this great doctrine of the apostles. Okay, now then, both of these. Now remember what you see in your text. Chapter 4. He gave some as apostles, and he gave some as prophets. Okay? Now then, both of these are in the process of getting direct revelation. You know how I know that? Because the Bible hasn't been written yet. So whatever they're teaching, God's Spirit is giving them the information. We looked at that this morning in John's Gospel, chapter 14. Bring to your remembrance and reveal to you. Okay? The apostles were receiving the direct revelations from God. The prophets were passing it on. But the prophets did receive direct revelations. We don't have a lot of record of this. Okay? But we do know a prophet named Agabus who predicted a famine. And it happened. It was to warn the church. Also, Agabus explained to Paul that, yeah, he would go to Jerusalem, but he would go in chains. Okay? See, the apostles' focus was theology. The prophets' focus is the practical. How do I make this theology fit my day-to-day life? They gave, the prophets gave the practical application to the local churches. Basically, the prophets repeated divine revelation... The apostle received divine revelation. Theology. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, an interesting statement here. 
but I watch people get apoplectic over at times. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32. Okay, let's look at 31. You understand at the writing of this letter, the church in Corinth was chaos. Okay? So, for you can all prophesy one by one. You know what that means. I don't need a bunch of people talking at once. <laughs> okay? One by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And, verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to who? To the prophets. Why? I can't test it to the word. It ain't written yet. So if that prophet says one thing and that prophet says something completely different, one or both are lying. Okay? Prophets in the beginning had their own checks and balances. And the checks and balances were themselves. Okay, now this was the early church. Because, remember, there were many, John says, many false prophets. Okay? Paul told Timothy, time will come when men will not hear sound words, but will heap to themselves teachers that tickles their ears. You know what bothers me about that? There's enough to heap. That means there's a lot of them. And yet, if you think about it, go through the book of Acts, and any times there's a confrontation against a false prophet, what are they doing it for? For the money. Okay? What are they doing it for today? For the money. And so as soon as I hear somebody say, well, I'm a prophet. Well, why are you driving a Rolls Royce? I want to see you in camel hair coat and sandals, eating bugs. In honey, in honey. Okay? No. You look at it, and if they're doing it for the money, know this and know it quickly. They're false. If what they're teaching is false, and they want to keep to the prophetic, the the laws of the prophet, if they're false, what are you supposed to do with them? Stone them. I had a guy come in here one time. I knew him. And he tried to explain to me what he did. And I showed him where the door was. Okay? No. There's a door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. And, you know, one of the elders says, What are you doing? He's a false prophet. I ain't going to let him linger around here. He didn't come back. It's kind of funny. So these guys should be, and I will tell you, part of my gift is prophetic, to speak before. I know it's a gift. Why? Because I don't like speaking before people. So for me to do this, it has to be divine and powered. And it is the responsibility of that person to preach the apostolic doctrine. So it will apply to the local 
church. Brothers and sisters, we're indebted. We are seriously, seriously indebted. And it's oh so important what God did at the birth of the church. The chief cornerstone. You know what that means? All angles are straight. And built off of the chief cornerstone were the doctrine of the apostles. And it was reiterated until their deaths by the by the prophets and the completion of what you and I have as the New Testament. Growing this church, this dynamic divine entity in its infancy to raise it up and mature it. The perfecting of the saints over many, many, many millennia. Do you realize how thankful we should be for these gifted men? They are the ones who form the foundation that you and I stand on today. And they came off of the chief cornerstone. Okay, these are the gifted men of the beginning. That was the day when the apostles, there was a day when the apostles went away. The last time we ever see all of the apostles together is Acts 15 and the Council of Jerusalem. That's the last time you ever see them together. And they were all there. Boy, talk about a meeting of the minds. Whoa. Oh, you got a guy here that watched them raise the dead. He's the one guy, his shadow hit and healed people. Is just, just a shadow going by. That guy over there, he got out and walked on water. That guy right there touched Jesus aside where the spirit gone in. That guy right over there, the one that we're getting a counsel for, he was cruising up to Damascus to re- arrest Christians. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I have plans for you. See what a group that was? I mean, you just sit there and go, whoa. I mean, <laughs> there's theology in here that we still ain't got a handle on. What a place to be in Jerusalem. But you know what? They're gone. They're gone. John was the last one. Most people believe he died in Ephesus. Then the ministry of the prophets was continued to build on and to sustain the church. Great preachers. Right? It means to speak before. So it had to be great Preachers. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery which I wrote before in brief. Okay, where's in brief? Chapter 1 and chapter 2. And part of 3. All right? It's revelation. But in your text in verse 11, there's two others. Right? These are the replacements for the first two. Okay, now, when person makes a statement, evangelist, what comes to your mind? Billy Graham crusade or something? You know what comes to my mind? I'm a little more harsh than so many. 
I believe, 15 sermons and 15 suits. Okay? Because most of the people I know that claim to be evangelists, that's what they are. Okay? My grandfather used to call them tent yellers. They would get in these tents and they'd yell at everybody about rock and roll music and alcohol and tobacco and yada, 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 yada. Okay? But what is an evangelist biblically? What is a biblical definition? You know, it was weird. Right after the invention of soap, okay, and I don't know what century that was, but they invented soap. They intersected evangelists with soap sellers. Because a soap seller, what he would do is he would roll into town and he's got this new magical stuff called soap. Okay? And he'd go find the nastiest, dingiest, grrrr, guy he could and then he'd scrub him up clean as a button. Okay? And so they would say, well, the evangelist does the same thing the soap seller does except Jesus does it on the inside. Okay? Well, that's that's how they used to do it. He's the soap seller. And I was like, okay. Listen, an evangelist, biblically, proclaims Jesus Christ where Christ is not known. Okay? Actually, we have them now. Not as many as you think. But we do have them. One of the greatest evangelists that I ever spent time with was Stephen Olford. Because that was his, that was him, buddy. For almost 50 years, he prayed for a revival in the United States. Okay? Still haven't seen it, but I know that his son has picked up that mantle. There... If you think about it, their work follows identically along with the apostles, okay? But they don't get direct revelation. You know why? Got it. It's right here. And and it drives me nuts when, quote-unquote, evangelist hasn't got any theology or doesn't understand theology, because then I was trying to say, what kind of soap you selling? Okay? Because an evangelist should be a theologian. He should have a whale of a handle on the apostles' doctrine. Because he's moving around birthing churches. He needs to be able to raise up leadership in there so he can move on to plan B. The, the apostles were very unique and they faded away, but they were replaced by the evangelist. The evangelist takes the good news where Christ ain't named. And they better have some solid understanding of what that means. I have met four guys in my life that I say are hard, yep, you bet, evangelists. But if you sit and talk to them, you realize they have a, a depth of theology that is just will rattle your brain. But then you think about what they're doing. They probably ought to, huh? 
You know, the first person I ever led to Christ, you know, I didn't use the Romans road. I didn't use the sinner's prayer. I, you know what I used? <laughs> the doctrine of election. Okay? And it, and it freaked the dude out. But you know what? He has never walked away. And not only that, he's very active in ministry, several ministries. Okay? Now, that isn't one you kind of think of that, you know, let me explain to you God's sovereign choice, and he elected you before the foundations of the earth. You want to get saved? See, that one, there's a, what? Evangelist is the one who goes to a place where Christ is not named. He wins people to Christ and he stays there till he has raised up a church. He ordains elders in that place who could take over the leadership of that church. And then he'll move on to a new area. Sounds like an apostle. Now listen, one of the things that I have heard that that just sticks in in me is that God has never put a premium on biblical ignorance. He doesn't put a premium on it. And yet, think about how many people out there are biblically ignorant. How many wise men were there? Three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No! You see what I'm trying to get at? I mean, it's like a guy, the guy says, hey, you know, wherever I'm at with my Bible, I'm in church. That's biblical ignorance. Nor has he put a premium on doctrinal ignorance. You know why there's conflicts in the church? Doctrinal ignorance. It's that simple. Let us reason together from the scriptures, brother, sister. Well, you have your bias. <laughs> you bet. If it ain't in here, I'm biased. <laughs> and I don't believe that this is that hard to understand. Listen, I'm not an educated man. If I can read it, oh, that makes sense. No, uh, but what did he mean? <laughs> Just what he said. Listen, nowhere in the Bible does it say that an evangelist has 12 sermons on how to get saved. I remember a guy out of uh, <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona, and I never said anything like I He impressed me. Okay, now I would never sit under his teaching, but he impressed me because I don't care what the text was. He could get some kind of altar call out of it. And I mean, you just sit there and go, well, how did you get that out of that text? And he said, well... Terry, you got to preach and have them make a decision. I said, I've never preached a sermon in my life and I didn't want people to make a decision. There ain't no, I've never had a sermon today. No, make a decision. I want to see change. But I don't need you to get up here in front of me and bow down at the altar or whatever you got to do to do it. Just do it.
an evangelist, a biblical evangelist, can go into an established church and build on that church where one already exists. But he will be a theologian. He will be teaching you theology. He will be teaching you what is your position in Christ now that you are his. That's what a true evangelist is going to do. It isn't one of these, say this prayer and I'll go find you a church. I have seen, we were involved with a crusade here in Castle Rock. It's been a couple of years ago down at the uh, event center. And the three guys that were heading it up, for one thing, there was no charge. They were footing the bill for everything. Okay? And they came around and talked to the churches. Now, some of the churches are, <laughs> anyway. But they came and talked to me. And yeah, he says, now, these people, if anybody gets saved here, we're plugging them into you guys. And I was like, you know, that's a biblical model. And if you go, and I listened to the messages, they had several messages, and I listened to the message, there were theology in it. It wasn't one of these, here, let me uh, make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It wasn't one of, let me manipulate your emotions. That's what, not what it was, man. It was theology. Now, it wasn't, you know, waist-deep theology, but it still was biblical power. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Leading people to Christ and then plugging them in to a Bible-believing, exalting church. And that is still part of the ministry process. Okay? Now then, I am called to be a teaching shepherd. Right? I know that emphatically. There's no doubt in my mind. It wasn't something I signed up for. It's just something that all of a sudden I'm <laughs> ended up. Okay, I understand that. All right. If I was going to start from scratch, a church, okay, almost a new work. I want. I want a new work. Okay. The first thing I would do is go find me an evangelist. Okay. And I'd want somebody that's got some theology behind them. And would understand what it is that they've been called to do. Which brings me to the second one here in verse 11. So you've got this. Someone who wins people to Christ. Brings them in. Plugs them in. Integrates them. Whatever term you want to use. Into the local existing church. If there is one. If not. Then he's got his hands full. That means he's got to keep reaching and reaching and reaching and training and training and training until he has biblical leadership in that group of people. You know, I was thinking about our church when we moved from congregational rule over to uh, elders. It was actually quite an easy transition. It's kind of funny. But the original guys, see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. There were six of them originally started it. Okay, when we went to elders, I wasn't one of them. I, they'd ask me, and I said, I don't know, I, I ain't doing that. I'm not old. How can I be an elder? At that time, I wasn't old. But anyway, out of them, only two have stayed true to the faith. 
Okay? You know what sad is? Four of them were not biblically stupid. But they did get entangled in the things of this world. All right? So the evangelists have to strengthen these guys so that they wouldn't fall into the snare of the devil, as Peter tells us. They would disciple to maturity. Okay? I remember, an evangelist is very similar to the apostles, okay? Very similar to the apostles. They do not receive direct revelation. Okay? We have direct revelation in the 66 books of the Bible. All right? They go where Christ is not named or to a church in need of this ministry. All right? Listen, evangelism that is disconnected from a local church loses its power. I was talking with Franklin Graham one time. It's been years ago. And he was speaking of his father, Billy. And he, Billy's conclusion was that he doubts that 1% of the people that made whatever commitments were truly saved. Now you think about that number for a second. You think about that. How many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people came forward and said a prayer and Billy Graham don't believe that 1% was saved. Okay, why? They didn't plug into a church. They never plugged into a church. Now, churches were represented. I don't, some of you guys may not remember this, but uh, he did a, one at Mile High Stadium. A crusade. And they contacted, about a year in, in advance, contacted all the area churches to be a part of this, to be involved. So when these people, what they would do, they'd fill out a card, I accepted Christ, and I live in this neighborhood, and they'd find you a church in that area. Okay? That's doing it right. But again, if Christ ain't doing the work, then... But if you're not plugged into a church, you lose your power. I'm back to what I was going to say, the last one. All right, if you look at your text, verse 11, chapter 4, I want to show you something that's very interesting. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors. Why not some as teachers? I thought you would never ask. I didn't know whether you caught that or not. In the original language, it's a hyphenated word. Okay? In the Greek text. It is not two words. Some pastor teachers. The word some shows up before the first four, but not what you would classify as the fifth one. All right? So, it is not there are pastors and there are teachers. There are pastor teachers. Pastor teachers. Now, for some reason here, the first part of this hyphenated word is poimia. And the only time in the New Testament that is translated pastor is where? Here. 
And I believe, personally, uh, that that is because of the Texas Receptus is Latin. And I believe that they translated it over as pastors. Everywhere else poimia is used in the New Testament, it is shepherd. Shepherd. Okay? For some reason, here it's translated pastor, but I'm going to stick with the bulk of poimia, which is shepherd. All right? Now, this is definitely different than an evangelist. All right, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is going to be coming up a lot in the next few weeks. An evangelist does not shepherd the flock. An evangelist teaches, but he does not teach the flock. It's an interesting parallel if you think about it. Apostles and prophets, evangelists, and what? Shepherd teachers. Okay. Some are out there confronting the lost, and some are settled. When I think about the fact that I have been in this church for 35 years, and I have never been in another church in my life, I'm thinking settled. (laughs) Or at least at this point in my life, I'm settled. But there is the teaching and building up of the flock, and they do it over a long duration. That seems to be missing in the body of Christ these days. I have been told that the average pastor is usually five years. Whoops. (laughs) I I, I quit looking at my calendar. Okay. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28, be on guard. This is his farewell to the Ephesian elders at Miltitis. Okay. Be on guard for yourself. Okay. That makes sense, doesn't it? And for all of the flock, okay, so you kind of got an idea there. You know, guard yourself, guard the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Now, I want you to read this next phrase. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see where I get a burn in my saddle when people play loosely with the church? You understand the church was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ? If it was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm thinking that it had importance. Not only that, he gave everybody in the church of God a gift. Not only that, he gave gifted men to the church that he purchased with his own Blood. That's how important the flock is to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You, we are the flock that Christ purchased with his own blood. Okay? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. You're not lording it over those allotted to your care, to your charge. Okay? So you see those two? 
One is lead them. Two, feed them. That's why God thought I would be a good one because I confuse so easily. So he says, I just want you to do two things. Don't do any more. Just two things. Lead and feed. That's it. You can't screw that up. Lead and feed. Okay. What is leadership? Okay. I've learned this the hard way. There's two principles to leadership. One is principle. One is pattern. Okay. You need to know the principles of God and you need to model it or pattern it. Okay. You can't get away with it as a shepherd and say, do as I say, not as I do. And there's some dumb flocks out there, but they're not that dumb. Okay? Living it so that the people want to follow. You ever thought about that? Let me give you a verse. One that just haunts me on a semi-consistent basis. Chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You know what that is? Feeding. Let me give you the apostles' doctrine. It all fits in that. That's feeding. Verse 9. The things... You have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You know what that verse tells me? That's the standards to hearing those wonderful words. Well done, true and faithful servant. Because you can be able to look back and say, see these people? They walk as I walk. How you doing with that? How you doing with that? People that are around you, are they walking like you? And is it honorable? Is it true? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Good repute? Is it excellent? Praiseworthy? Are you dwelling on them? Okay? You know what he's basically saying? You know, I, Paul uses better words than me, but he was under the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying it this way. Be followers of me. One of the things that I'm struggling, you can pray for me on this. Okay? I cherish your prayers on that. One of the things that I'm struggling with, is anybody following? Okay? Just a question. It's a question. Feeding. Showed you what leadership is. Feeding. Warning and teaching. Okay? I guess if you wanted to look at it, it's the negative and the positive. Warn them what not to do and teach them what to do. Okay? This is the shepherd teacher. If the man of God is faithful to take heed to himself. Okay? First, is his life right? Before God, day by day. And he's committed to lead. 
is put into a place of leading, then he will do it with principle and pattern. He knows what the book of God says. He knows how it patterns his life. Okay? But he'll also feed. In feeding, I'll warn you what not to do, and you'll ignore me. I'll warn you what not to do, and I'll teach you what to do. Okay? That is how God fulfills Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Remember it? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Gifted men given to the church to perfect the saints. Admonishing, exhorting to present every man complete in Christ. That's my task. You know what your task is? Follow. (laughs) Follow. I don't drive that fast. Follow. Let's pray. Father, I come before you, the author and the finisher. Thank you for your word. Father, it has encouraged me. It has encouraged me. So, Father, I pray that it has encouraged my brothers and sisters. Pray that we will seek you, your kingdom, and we will watch you do abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us. You, my King, in Christ's name, amen.